Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! Except it's only the 20th of December for many of our listeners. Well, it's it's fallen funny for us or the this 19th. year. Because podcast day is Boxing Day, so we needed to get this out before Christmas. Yes. Otherwise we'd be, after the event, it'd be anticlimactic. Yes. It's our Christmas party, come on, a bit, yes. bit, a bit of festivity, yes. a bit of energy. Yes. yes, yes, yes. People who listen to this podcast think, I would love to invite Ed Miliband to my Christmas party. We're getting people in the Christmas spirit early, aren't we? Exactly. Now, before we get started, uh, yeah. I have a question for you. Yes. Are you not stopping? What does that mean? Oh, it's, it's a northern expression yes. when somebody doesn't take their coat off. Oh, <laughs> it's because the House of Commons is in Port You know we're not house. in the House of Commons. No, I know, but... But in my attic. I, I've just got into the sort of habit of wearing my coat. I think you're a bit nesh. <laughs> I think that's definitely true. So people will be listening to this from the 19th of December. I want to sort of get this exactly right. Yes. So you're listening from the 19th of December. Yes. We're here yeah. to give you festive momentum through this week as yeah. you hurtle towards the day itself. Bit of fun, bit of frolics. Well, usually what we do is we, we have a Christmas party. We invite a couple of guests. Yeah. We play a board game from Ed's youth called Class Struggle, yes. which is a, a Marxist version yes. of Monopoly. Now, that that board game is on loan to the British Museum, I, I think believe. it is, actually. <laughs> So I think no, I think it's gone back to the original owners, probably. Oh, I see. Yes, maybe. So this year we decided to do something different. Yes. What we're going to do is pull Christmas crackers. Yes. But inside the crackers, it's not going to be a paper hat and a pun or a dice. It's going to be a message from a friend of the pod. Yes. And we've got lots of friends. Well, so it was. We've got some friends. <laughs> This was your idea, which I must say, I was cursing you two days ago, I must say, because I thought I was going to be a pain in the neck saying to people as they try and get ready for Christmas, can you send me a message? But actually, I managed to deliver four messages. I want the scores on the doors to be known. I think I'm on the leaderboard, aren't I? I'm four. I think currently, Rachel takes gold for number uh, of Does messages. she? What's she at? Rachel's oh, at five. Rachel's at five. You're at four. And you've and, got the wooden I'm, spoon. I'm, I'm the bronze. Uh, yeah. But I'm very hopeful that I'm going to get another one in before the end of the recording. So joint, so we'll both be on the sort of silver podium together. Exactly, yes. Silver medal podium. Huddling for warmth. Yes. In our thermal underwear. Yes. And everything yes. else, not just the thermal exactly. underwear. Exactly. Yes. Shall we pull our first Christmas cracker? Yes. Okay. Grab hold of one end and let's see who's inside cracker number one. It's Dan the lifeguard. Dan the lifeguard from Ed's Pond, where he goes yes. swimming. Strong start. Right, uh, reasons to be cheerful from 2022. Um, not as easy as it should be, this, but I'll give it a go. Um, speaking as a North London boy and a Spurs fan, watching Arsenal implode and Spurs nipping in to get that coveted fourth spot for the Champions League places, that certainly made me cheerful. Uh, watching Arsenal do so well and kick on this season hasn't made me so cheerful, however. But anyway, moving on from that. Uh, as far as the pond's concerned, 
it's just getting busier and busier. It's great to see so many people coming along and enjoying it. And um, but it does present challenges in dealing with it. Always a tough old summer, long hot summer. Uh, but I was really happy with the way everyone got stuck in, did a really good job. And that was certainly a reason to be cheerful, seeing everyone work really well and help facilitate, you know, people just enjoying the pond safely. Uh, as for next year, we'll see what that brings, but um, we'll see how we go for now. Cheers. Oh, my goodness. I feel genuinely excited that I now know what Dan the Lifeguard sounds like. That is Dan the Lifeguard. He doesn't quite sound as I imagined him. I thought he might sound a bit like um, Brian Blessed. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. But he sounds lovely. I thought maybe me being at the ponds might be his reason to be cheerful, but maybe that makes me a mad yeah, it's, egotist. It's, it's, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because you come on the podcast every week and you tell all these stories about how you really rush to the rescue of Dan with your zapper yeah, yeah. Uh, when their thermometer yeah. isn't quite yeah. doing the job. Yeah. In comes Ed. Yeah. You talk about the great conversations yeah. you have with him. Yeah. And, and I'm featureless, aren't I? I I'm, I'm, I'm not featured. You're irrelevance to him. <laughs> it didn't even occur to him. No. It was 4.1 degrees in the ponds. According uh, to their thermometer. According to their, my, my, no, I think my zapper said 4.6. Uh, and uh, but, but that's because that's the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. There's a bit deeper. Yes, you've explained this at some yeah. length <laughs> yeah. on many occasions. Uh, and... Um, and so then I did say, I've got this podcast, Dan, and you're a feature on it. And he's like, yeah, I have heard that. Did you seem uncomfortable when you said that? <laughs> uh, so I think he did really well, didn't he? Let's pull another cracker. Hi, Ed and Jeff. It's Nadia Sheikh from the Right to Rome campaign. My reason to be cheerful this year is the overwhelming public support we've had for the Right to Rome over the past couple of years as the campaign's been up and running. And the knowledge now that, you know, although there are practical things to get over with land access, um, you know, how do you do it? How do you make a reality? You know, the majority of people are longing for access to hills and woods and rivers. People are crying out for it. And as, a, as an ornithologist and a, and a nature lover and being in a biodiversity crisis, um, it's also heartening in the knowledge that all of the greatest nature kind of movements and the foundations of our legislation and nature protection policy have been because of people who have spent time in nature and love nature and fight for it. And knowing that more people want to spend time in nature and that everyone I know that spends time in nature also wants to protect it, it means that nature is going to have a bigger voice. So that's my reason to be cheerful. I'm very, very hopeful and optimistic that we will win the right to Rome. Have a lovely Christmas and New Year. You're a nature lover, aren't you? Yes, and do you know what? Even more so after some of the conversations we've had on the podcast this year. I loved that episode. It really was one of my favourites. Um, I remember Nadia talking about the, the kinder in colour and about this whole issue of the countryside feeling accessible to everybody. I love that. I remember being shocked by some of the statistics. It was something like, I think, 8% of land and 3% of waterways in England are accessible to the public. That's it. I want more waterways. We want the waterways to be clean as well, which is is a whole other bag of mashings. I think we got an episode on that as well, didn't we? we? Did you notice my bag of mashings expression? What what bag of mashings? Have you heard of the bag of mashings? Tell me more. Diane, who has worked in my office heroically for 17 years, uses this phrase quite a lot. She introduced me to this phrase. My office. Oh, is she the one with the haunted look of somebody who's been around you for 17 years? No, she is not. (laughs) Bag of mashings. Mm. Uh, A mishmash, a sampling of all things in a given group. 
It's just a, it's like a, it's a, oh, it's just all a mess. That's the way Diane used it anyway. So if something's kind of a disaster on all fronts, you call yeah. it a bag of mashings. Yeah. Yeah. Can it ever be a positive? Uh, not that I know of. Okay. Well, Actually, ne- Diane's never said to me it's a good bag of mashings. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what else I remember about that episode is just yeah, how great bag of Scotland mm-hmm. does. I mean, no bag of mashings in Scotland. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best right to roam laws in the world. Have you become more nature oriented as you've as your years have advanced? <laughs> well, I think I have actually. I think you definitely have. We went for a walk the other day with Dylan the dog, you know, Dylan the dog who replaced Chutney somewhat. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and Chutney it's, it's was a, fictional. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a real dog. Dylan. Yeah, he's a real dog, Dylan. I mean, he's such a lovely dog, honestly. Um, and um, it's just something very calming about taking a dog for a walk. Mm. Tell you what I don't enjoy about nature. What? Going over a style. Mm. I think there's a lot to go wrong. I think you've got style. <laughs> right, let's ignore the pun and pull yeah. another cracker. Hello, this is John Harris from The Guardian here. I've got two reasons to be cheerful from 2022. First, the protesters, women in particular, in Iran, whose bravery and dignity is amazing to behold, and proof that people's demands for freedom, self-expression and human rights can make it to the foreground, even when they're living under the most authoritarian regimes. The second reason to be cheerful is a bit closer to home. In the midst of the cost of living crisis, I've been visiting community organisations responding to people's hardship in amazingly creative ways. The best example is a group called Ambition Lawrence Weston, who are on the edge of Bristol, and they're building this country's first community wind turbine. They'll sell the electricity it generates and use the money to cut local people's bills. The clunky old state can't do this. It's an inspirational thing to see, and it'd be great to see more things like it in 2023. They're good reasons to be cheerful, aren't they? Definitely. It's, it's interesting hearing somebody of the left talk about the clunky old state, mm. and it shows how that thinking is changing. And, and you hear it a little bit with the Labour Party now talking about the giving yeah. away of power yeah. at the election. But that's really something that we have discovered time and time again throughout these five-plus years of the podcast. That devolution yeah, 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 yeah. is often a part of the fix to things. I also think there is something really interesting about this community energy idea, because my cliche now, which is not yet a cliche, it's cheaper to save the planet than to destroy it. You're trying to make it a thing, aren't you? I'm trying to make it a thing. When you walk down the street, are people shouting it out at you yet? Like when people see Peter Kay and they shout garlic bread, is is this happening for you? Are people shouting, I've forgotten it already, cheaper no. to do it than not to do it? Save the planet. Cheapest chips? Cheaper, cheapest chips to save cheaper the planet. Cheaper to save the planet than yes. to destroy it. Uh, but, you know... It's the great promise. It's the thing. It's one of the things that has made me optimistic in 2022. Kingsmill Bond, who I think we're going to feature on next week's episode in our top ten. His analogy is fossil fuels are, are horses, and renewable energy is the car. And we're in 1920, and the horses are at their peak. If that's true, and I think it is true, and renewable energy is going to get cheaper and cheaper, then particularly for communities in need, people feeling that cost of living crisis, cheap renewable energy is a great answer. So I'm really interested in visiting that project. And I think what he says about Iran is, and maybe that doesn't get enough coverage, the the women and the protests in Iran. Yeah, I've, I've seen a bit about it. And, and it's humbling to hear about those women and, and also inspiring the solidarity from different women's groups and faith groups around the world. Thank you, John. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ed. Merry Christmas. Wow, it's it's the Christmas cracker I was hoping for. 
Rebecca Taylor, aka Self Esteem. My reason to be cheerful in 2022, which I just had to ask if that was this year or not, <laughs> um, is loads of stuff. Obviously, I've had a right laugh, and it is very nice to have got to a place where I finally don't feel so stressed out by my lack of career. That's nice. But also Uno, the game Uno. I figured out that's the perfect way to calm me down. Have you ever played Uno? If in doubt, Uno can pull me back from the edge of a meltdown. Um, and as now I have a, now I'm a world class famous pop star. Um, I have more meltdowns than ever and Uno has become integral in the, uh, avoiding them department this is weird happy christmas what what a treat for rebecca to uh, to send us a message what a treat it was for rebecca well, is what you're saying obviously do you know she was on our episode uh, when we I did, do know. We did podcast from abbey road some years ago i do know and she posted a photo on social media of you and her cropped me out of it she didn't she did. not cropped I was in the photo. She showed it to me on the phone when she took it. When oh. it was posted on social media, I was reduced to just the hint of a shoulder. That is absolute genius. But <laughs> I was able to use it as leverage to get the most talked about musical artist of the year to send us a message for our Christmas episode. Now, honestly, on the subject of Uno. Yes. Are you an Uno player? I've never played it, no. Oh, my goodness. My kids are big fans of Uno. Really? We went through a big Uno phase during the pandemic. And were you particularly competitive? Well, I'm competitive about everything, yeah. Take it you'd never let them win? No. <laughs> uh, Do you have any UNO strategies you could pass on to Rebecca or anybody else? What are my UNO strategies? There is one sort of really left-field UNO strategy, which is if things get quite bad for you, as in you've ended up with lots of cards and have got no chance of winning, you basically go for trying to pick up as many cards as possible so you can have either a shuffle hands, which allows everything to be put back, or even better, a switch hands, so you can put do massive dumpage on somebody else. So you basically have, like, 15 cards. You've got to get rid of all your cards, and, you know, that's the aim. So you end up with 15 or 18 cards, and there's some poor soul that's got two left, and you just then do a switch hands. Do you see what I mean? None of it makes any sense to me. Oh, but right. Hopefully it'll be helpful for Rebecca, but she won't be listening. She's had a Brit nomination this year, a Mercury nomination. Her performance at Glastonbury was the, the most talked about of the year. But I think this is probably the real highlight, getting Uno tips from you. Do you think she'll crop you out of the version she listens back to? <laughs> <laughs> we should send her a cropped version. <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, should we pull another cracker? Yep. Hi, Ed and Jeff. This is Oliver Berkman. I came on your podcast to talk about uh, my book, 4,000 Weeks, among other things. This is probably eccentric, but when I think about this question of uh, reasons to be cheerful about 2022, my mind immediately goes to all the appalling and terrible things that could have happened and that didn't. Uh, I find that this perspective can really buoy me up. You can start just with all the things that people thought might happen in 2022 and didn't. You know, for all the horrors of the war in Ukraine, a nuclear weapon has not been used. Uh, for all the horrors of the cost of living and the energy crisis, there have not yet been rolling blackouts lasting hours or days affecting millions of British householders. Uh, for all the ongoing impact of the coronavirus pandemic, there has not been uh, a new 
pandemic virus that is 10 times uh, deadlier. Um, and, and, you know, if you start with all those things that people predicted could happen but didn't, um, your mind then quickly moves to all the other things that people didn't even predict, right? A sort of effectively infinite number of terrible things that could have happened to each of us and that didn't happen. So unless a jumbo jet landed on the roof of your house this year, in which case this is going to be a bad example to use for you, um, no jumbo jets landed on the roof of your house this year. And there are obviously then, you know, thousands upon thousands of other things that could have happened that didn't. It's cold comfort, of course, if this is a year where something especially bad happened to the person listening to this. But for all of the rest of us where any given year is unlikely to be the worst year of our lives, I think it's really helpful to think in this way because it refocuses your attention on how grateful uh, for and happy about one, you know, you can feel just about just Ordinary days, mundane days when kind of nothing much happens, they can have a sort of beauty in them that comes at least in part from understanding all the ways in which, you know, terrible calamities didn't occur. Thank you. Well, that's quite profound. It is, isn't it? So on one hand, you can't be Pollyanna-ish. No. You, you, know, you can't use that way of thinking to be complacent. But on the other hand, I really think it says something brilliant about the way we catastrophize, especially the way that the media and maybe social media's algorithms favor this, is giving undue prominence to uh, worst-case scenarios. It's hard to live your life like this, though, isn't it? Yes, but I think that I think there's like a there's an analogy. Well, it that, was isn't there? I think it reminded me a little bit of his book uh, yes. 4000 weeks which we really enjoyed yeah we? he's not saying wake up and be grateful is he no but he's not but he's also say, i think a lot of us especially if you're of an anxious disposition yeah. spend which a you lot, and i are which you and i are spend a lot of time spiraling and catastrophizing about a terrible situation which isn't that likely and you're not controlling the situation. And the thing is, though, you're never grateful, though. You, you, he's got a point, which is that you're not then grateful when the situation doesn't happen. You just move on to yeah, the you find, next you find terrible the next Yeah, you do, you do. What is the remedy for that, though? Well, I think it's what he says, isn't it? It's, tr it's trying to... It's the biggest cliche in the world, isn't it? But living in the now. I've come to the conclusion, through years of therapy, that the that one of the ways out of these catastrophizing is to step outside the detail of the particular catastrophe. In other words, you've got to try and think about it as a pattern of catastrophes that don't happen, not as, is this catastrophe going to happen? Because your brain will always find a way of concluding the catastrophe might happen. Do you, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But if you can see that for the last 30 years, you've, you've just thought about spent most of, of your life yeah. worrying about terrible yeah. things that never came yeah. to pass. Yeah, exactly. That That's more succinct way of putting it. And again, with you know, world events, it's not about burying your head in the sand. But no. I think there's this thing that we've talked about before on the podcast, an addiction that the media has to ever more dramatic news storylines. Um, and part of that is ramping up the worst thing that could happen rather than the most yeah. likely thing that can happen. Interesting. Should we pull another cracker? Let's do it. Go on, Diane. This is Hatla Gunnarsdóttir from Iceland. Ah, it's our friend Hatla Gunnarsdóttir from Iceland, uh, who worked for the uh, Icelandic Prime Minister. We We're, love a Hatla. We love Hatla. And my reason to be cheerful in 2022 is the return of the hug and the handshake. It was predicted that the COVID shutdowns might permanently change how we interact with each other. 
yet the Hugs and the Handshakes had a swift comeback the minute they were considered reasonably safe. Human interaction is what makes us human, and their common humanity is essential to build the solidarity we need to tackle the challenges of this century. Happy New Year. Ah, oh, I love that one. It's fantastic, isn't it? The return of the hug and the handshake. I have to say I prefer a hug to a handshake. Really? Do you not feel like you're judged on your handshake? Maybe. I once shook hands with a posh person and, and they said, I can tell what type of school you went to. Are you serious? Yes. Nick Hewer. Do you remember him? Of The Apprentice. Yes. He said that I had the weakest handshake in Western Europe. <laughs> no. <laughs> Apparently. According to the Daily Express in 2011. Ever since that person said that to me, I've become paranoid about my handshake, and now I think I shake people's hands as if I've got one of those electric buzzers. Some people have said to me I've got very strong hands. One person said to me, well, you nearly broke my hand. Well, maybe you're overcompensating. Oh, yeah, that is firm. You've got big old hands there, Ed. I know, but I was, I like let's, let's just, let's just Do you of... like the uh, the double clasp that people sometimes do? But is it one or two kisses? This is why the hug is superior. Which is three? Is three kisses? No kisses. Wait, no, which no is the kisses, country Ed. with three kisses? The French are two kisses, yeah? Famously. Kiss etiquette is uh, something they didn't teach us at school. Did you go to a Swiss Three finishing school? Three kisses, Belgium, Slovenia, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Egypt and Russia. Is this what they're teaching you at a comprehensive in North London? No. Did you go to a Swiss finishing internet. school? This is what I'm finding on the internet. Did you go to one of those schools where that you learn how to balance a book on your head? In his new book, One Kiss or Two in Search of the Perfect Greeting, career diplomat Andy Scott speculates on the origins of the cheek kissing tradition. No kisses. Like, have we ever kissed each other? No. Will we ever kiss each other? I hope not. I'm One kiss, with Colombia, Argentina, Chile, Peru, the Philippines. Two kisses, Spain, Italy, Greece, Germany, Hungary, Romania. Why haven't they got France in here? It's a lot to remember. Anyway, Hatler's got a... But basically, Hatler's right, isn't she? She is as well. And it also says something about people are hungry for some form of real connection. If we'd been here a year ago, which we weren't, but I think we were still remote, we would not have believed that we would have moved on so much from COVID, would we? No. Should we pull another cracker? Yes. I'm Michael Marmot. It's health inequalities guru, Michael Marmot. And I was sitting in a community hall in Newport, in Wales, when a colleague of mine from the UCL Institute of Health Equity sent me a message. And she said, I'm so disappointed. I'm having reverses all over the place. Government policies all moving in the wrong direction to improve health. And people are not listening to me. How do you keep going? And I said, I'm here in the Gwent region of Wales that wants to be the first Marmot region of Wales, chief executives of five local authorities have just declared their commitment to becoming a Marmot region, which means taking action on the social determinants of health. And I said to my colleague, just reflect how far we've come. In 2008, we published the report. I chaired the commission on social determinants of health. And we said on the cover, social injustice is killing on a grand scale, and that we want to establish a social movement for greater health equity globally. Since then, we've done regional commissions in Europe, in the Americas, in North Africa, in the Middle East. In the UK, Coventry became a Marmot city. Greater Manchester said we'll be a Marmot city region. So what's happening 
nationally may be adverse from the point of view of improving health and reducing health inequalities. But there's real commitment right across cities and regions in Britain. That's why I'm cheerful. That's why I keep going. So that's really interesting, isn't it? Whatever you think about national government, he's saying in lots of areas of the country and indeed across the world, people are taking these issues which he's campaigned on, thought about, written about for a long time. They're taking them seriously. And that which is must be incredible after after his life's yeah, work because yeah. he did this review years ago and yeah. it wasn't implemented. And then to at this stage of his life see people taking up those ideas and using them to make a difference. Definitely. Yeah. I remember being really struck by that episode. I think I said at the time, Sarah's parents live in an affluent suburb. And if I look at just the the state of health and fitness amongst her mum and dad and their friends compared to like my aunties and uncles up north and life expectancy, it's really, really stark. Look, it's one of the biggest injustices there is, not just life expectancy, but they call it quality yes. life years. I think that is really, really uh, important. Look, the other thing is, the other thing why devolution is so important is because it then opens up these other centres of power. You see what's happening in Wales. You see what Andy Burnham is doing in Greater Manchester. Other mayors like Tracy Braben in West Yorkshire. There's just quite a lot of this going on, quite a lot to be inspired about. And I'm really pleased for him that he's got these Marmot regions now. Yeah. I'd like some Jeff zones. Oh. Lloyd localities. You think it's got to alliterate? Not necessarily. Jeffocracies? Like, you know how the Swiss have cantons? Yes. Jeffons. <laughs> Yeah, we're a Jeffon. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay, Jeffons. Yeah. yeah. Let's pull another cracker. Hello, Jeff and Ed. It is Michael and Davina from <laughs> the world famous, award winning. We haven't won an award, but nearly award winning podcast, <laughs> making the cut. And um, we're going to share our reasons to be cheerful with you right now. If you can hear sheets rustling, it's because we're in bed. Yeah. Um, which is one reason to be cheerful. But my, <laughs> my main reason to be cheerful, I think definitely this year, I think 2022 feels like it has been the year where the enormous tanker um, that feels like it's been in, in the ocean that's been desperately trying to turn um, of the menopause and people's attitudes towards it and the fact that we need to talk about it bring it more out into the open, it feels like that tanker is turning. It feels like there is a shift in attitudes and um, thought processes around women in the workplace and around women at home and around uh, hormone replacement therapy. That is a really positive one. And I am really, really, really pleased about that. And um, I intend to do lots more work around that next year. And that is a reason to be cheerful. It really is, Not yeah. just for women, but no, for everyone. For everyone. Yeah. Totally agree. And um, mine is a bit more self-indulgent, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> My reason to be cheerful in 2022 is that I launched a business. Uh, it launched in October. It's a business I've been trying to launch for, I reckon, <laughs> about 20 years, yes. to be honest. Uh, and not only is it launched, it's done really well and... Um, it has made me very, very happy. Oh. Um, 
uh, and very, very cheerful. And so, I am, can I just quickly yeah, add yeah, to sure. that, that I am enormously proud of you. Oh, oh my God, I'm so, you're amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, another reason uh, to be cheerful. Yeah, and I, I hope there's lots of other reasons to be cheerful for, yeah. for your listeners and followers. And love to you both. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, it's Michael Douglas and Davina McCall from the Making the Cup podcast. I think that's the only one we've had where they've admitted to being in bed. I mean, I'm, I've got my suspicions about it. I mean, that is true celeb, Jeff. I mean, yeah. honestly, I'm going to get on that silver podium with you. Well, I think so, because you get some bonus for that. And she has been, I don't, I don't know how much you follow these things, but she's been really active yes, in has. the menopause conversation. No, it's year. been really good. Uh, book, um, it's documentary. It's been really good. We were just talking about health inequalities, stuff around women's health inequalities that we talked about on an episode a while back. And I wonder if menopause would be a good episode for us, actually. Yes. Because it is weird that here we are in 2022 and it only just feels yes. like something that people are, are talking about. There was thing in the House of Commons way. where these met, where Male MPs had these jackets for them to try on as if they were having the menopause. The vest was developed by Over the Moon, a group that provides advice on menopause to companies and individuals. Wow. Did yeah. you try one on? I didn't know. Is that why you've kept your coat on today? No, maybe we should do it for an episode. Yeah. And what's really interesting about Michael is he's invented a hairdryer, right? Yeah. In the olden days, you would go to Boots and ask, please, can you stop my hairdryers on your shelves? And now he does it all himself over Instagram. Made me what think, does his hairdryer do? Well, I feel like um, we'd be doing an yeah. infomercial oh, fine, if I told fine. you, but okay, it's, it's like a, okay. it's a leap forward to what you're using. <laughs> I mean, you know what it made me think of? It's inspired you, hasn't it? Long-standing idea. Make your own start sandwich. your own business. So, so instead people of having... Were skepti- yes. People were sceptical. Yeah. Michael's stuck at it and he's having great success with it. So Lots what of about, people being contemptuous about it. But this this is what I'm saying. You were in an old school mentality thinking that you need a physical location. What if you Did it taught people to make their own sandwiches on Instagram? Uh, what's the business model? Do you just do it and then figure out the business model after you've spent all the investors' money? Hmm. Should we pull another cracker? <laughs> Let's do it. It's Steph Brobby, Chief Executive of the Good Ancestor Movement. Hi, Ed. Hi, Jeff. It's Steph from the Good Ancestor Movement. My reason to be cheerful is that my colleagues and I, in partnership with Saeed Business School at the University of Oxford, hosted a conference which brought together wealth holders, private wealth advisors, civil society and academics to interrogate wealth in society and the role of private wealth advisors in supporting or hindering a much-needed transition to a just and sustainable economy and a fairer society. Together, we spent a day listening to hard truths about the challenges we're facing globally, extreme wealth and inequality in the UK, why we need tax justice and why reparations matter. We reflected on current practice in the wealth advisory industry and its role in perpetuating extreme wealth accumulation and tax minimisation. And we have wealth holders sharing their candid experiences of coming into wealth, either through inheritance or entrepreneurship, how they see their responsibility as wealth holders to reject the idea of accumulating more than they need for their own families and instead paying fair taxation and advocating for progressive tax reform and ensuring that they use their resources to advance shared prosperity and abundance for all. It was the first gathering of its kind and felt very risky in the sense that we weren't really sure what to expect, what the dynamics would be, given that essentially we were holding a mirror in front of an incredibly powerful and influential community 
But it ended up being a deeply moving and powerful experience of connection as we created the conditions for everyone to lean into our collective humanity and show up with a posture of humility while having a really important conversation about wealth and society. I think through that powerful experience, we've created the foundations needed to galvanise action, which will lead to systemic change. We will keep you posted. Have a wonderful Christmas and all the best for 2023. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we feature the Good Ancestor Movement, Patriotic Millionaires on the podcast. Yes, Steph was one of my favourite guests this year. And I think I said at the time, I went into this subject thinking, is is thinking too much about philanthropy, just tinkering around the edges. But I was completely sold on it because a big part of the work that Steph and others are doing is educating wealthy people about yeah. what their wealth is built on. Now, you might think, well, they should should know that. But, you know, as humans, yeah. we have a tendency to overestimate our own yeah. role in things. And I think it's especially good work because wealthy people do have a disproportionate share influence. of voice and influence. Yeah. And if you're shifting the narrative of wealth, that's a phrase, the narrative of wealth. You never Sorry. thought you'd be using that five years ago, did you? I didn't. Welcome to Nerdsville, Arizona. <laughs> But it, but it's it's there's some contagion yeah. hopefully that comes from that yeah yeah I think contagion of the of the narrative of <laughs> wealth uh, I'm in Wonk World we're in Wonk World Wonk World Wayne's World I think it's easy to be cynical about this oh you know it's easy for them to say but it isn't actually easy for them to say because lots of wealthy people don't say we think we want a fairer society we want less inequality we believe in a progressive tax system you know what i mean mm. so i think it is really laudable that they the different groups are doing it and, and and as you say it's not about charity it's about justice and the way they they are thinking about it another cracker yes it's Rono, John Ronson. Happy Christmas to Jeff and Ed and everybody listening to this i'm John Ronson and my Main reason for being cheerful in 2022 was how the election deniers in the midterm elections were all roundly beaten and millions of people who'd voted for Trump in 2016 realised that they'd, they'd touched the stove and it was too hot. And look what happened just last night as I record this. Uh, Elon Musk went on stage at Dave Chappelle expecting to be, I don't know, not roundly booed for 10 minutes by 18,000 people who just wanted to uh, demonstrate what I think a lot of people feel is that we don't want to be dragged back into this world of not knowing the difference between truth and bullshit. Uh so that's my reason to be cheerful, I think, in, when it comes to that kind of misinformation. That kind, anyway. Maybe we're turning a corner. Happy Christmas. God bless you all. Oh, John Ronson. What a guy. He's got such a soothing voice. He has got I think he could do voice, Book of Bedtime yeah. on Radio 4. Yeah, he could do one of his own books. Yeah. Just thinking back to what Oliver Berkman was saying about the things that didn't happen. One of the things that could have happened is the Republicans could have got all these election deniers into office in November, and they didn't. And also, I listened to Pod Save America, as they always say, how many times have they said, is this it for Trump? And you've got to be really careful about saying this is it for Trump. But but he is Trump has got a lot of problems, legal problems, political problems. That doesn't mean that Trumpism has gone away. It doesn't mean that Trump's gone away, but he's got a lot of incoming, as they say. Mm. And the Elon Musk thing as well. Yeah, the Elon because Musk Dave Chappelle's really... audience isn't Nish Kumar's audience. 
And um, it says something that he's not sitting well with people either. I, I wonder if this age of um, all-powerful tech bros is is passing as well. There's much more scepticism. Can you think of the last time that there was one person with a technology that was that disruptive? Because they, they were all doing it in the early days. Oh, I see. It's much more crowded, so it's much more difficult for one person to acquire that much I power see, so I quickly, see. I think. Well, anyway. Another cracker? Yep. It's Aisha Hazarika. My reason to be cheerful is more a reason to be grateful. And obviously it's quite timely with everything that's going on. But earlier this year, my father was very ill. He came to visit me in London from Glasgow and had a sort of, you know, heart attack situation. And he ended up in King's Hospital for about three to four weeks. It was a complete shock. And I was incredibly upset and it was a very stressful time. But the people who cheered me and my mum up no end were the amazing, amazing nurses at King's who were just so kind and patient and cheerful when we were not, you know, as sort of family members, we were bewildered, tired, exhausted, grumpy, um, you know, not very cheerful. And they were just so brilliant. And I particularly remember a male nurse who was so patient with my dad and many of the other men who were in the cardiac unit. Um, a lot of the men, the older male patients were quite confused about what was going on. They kept trying to, you know, take off all their wires and, and get up and, and put their clothes on and, and, and go. And he was so good with sitting with them and chatting with them and kind of making them laugh and have wee jokes. And with everything that's happening now with the strikes and the industrial action and, and you just see how nurses are working so hard and now getting vilified, it just makes me very sad. But I do look back at that time and if it hadn't been for those amazing nurses, I don't think me, my mum or my dad would have got through that period. So that was my big reason to be cheerful in 2022, those nurses turned a very dark, sad moment into something um, that we got through. And it's amazing what goodwill and a cheery attitude and a big smile will do. I mean, sometimes that's sort of more powerful and medicinal than all the drugs in the world. I think that was so nice. That's such a nice message i think there's something quite uniting actually when you think about lots of the messages we've heard i don't want to sound just too banal but sort of compassionate kind of world yeah i was thinking about it as i was listening to aisha it's a sort of it's the anti-twitter isn't it yes compassion kindness yeah because the algorithm doesn't favor compassion and kindness does it no so you don't see that it, stuff a bit like reading certain newspapers convinces you the country's full of kind of bad people but that's so far from the truth. Twitter can convince you the country's full of lots of angry, nasty people, mm. and that's far from the truth. Yeah. I was very struck by the gratitude in Aisha's yeah. message as well, because it's a difficult time for the health service and interactions yeah. with it aren't always easy when it's yeah. under so much stress. Made me think of my mum as well, because she worked on a coronary care yeah. ward. When I was little, I used to go and visit her there, and she would give me, in those days, ECGs. Do you remember they were drawn on rolls of yeah, paper? Yeah, yeah, And um, when those were finished, she'd give them to me to draw and colour in. My aunt used to work on ECGs. Really? Analyzing ECGs, yeah. Yeah. Next. 
Oh, it's David Lindo, the urban birder. Hi, Ed and Jeff. It's David Lindo. I'm also known as the urban birder right here. And my reason to be cheerful about this year is the fact that I've managed to be able to spend a lot of time in this wonderful country called Spain and away from the madness in England to watch some amazing birds and also to eat some great food as well. So I am very happy and I wish you all a great Christmas and a happy new year. Wow, the urban birder. In Spain. And we, he sent us a video, actually, so we can see he's in a Spanish village and we could hear that it was raining there. There were many birds. And I also thought the rain in Spain yeah. fell mainly on the plane. Oh, clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. Um, I love that episode. The episode's about nature. Of course, it's important in terms of biodiversity, but... Also, it just it when we do those episodes, it feels like breathing in fresh air. Totally like mushrooms as well. Yes, I mean not like breathing in mushrooms, but like, <laughs> like just for the clarity. Do you think we should go bird watching together? I do remember the urban bird sort of extended an invitation, but I think it was very contingent on you joining us. I don't think there's much interest in the urban bird just taking me. But maybe we should. Do you think we should do urban birding, or do you think we should go mushroom picking or pickleball playing? Or all three at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Right, another cracker. I think it's the last one. I think it is. Oh, it's comedian and man on a fast track to becoming a national treasure, Tom Allen. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ed. It's Tom Allen here. My reason to be cheerful is that I've just bought a new hat. Yes, that's right. I've decided I'm going to start wearing um, all manner of hats uh, this winter. And I think... um, I think that's a reason to be cheerful for you and for me. Anyway, bye for now. Now, I've got a confession to make, which is I don't really look good in a hat. But you do often wear a hat. Do I? I see you in your helmet. Well, that's to do a hat. But you're still spending a portion of your life in it, so presumably you're thinking But of, that's more for sort of safety rather than aesthetics. But you're thinking of the aesthetics at all? You, no. What colour is your hat? Is that red? Yeah, but it's just... Uh, I assume that was for campaigning reasons. It wasn't really. It was... Well, I did like... I do like red, but... but uh, no, I, I just don't... Really, I don't think I've ever found a hat that really quite works for well, me. Well, you had um, sort of Benny from Crossroads hat for a while, didn't you? Did it have an American football or baseball team on uh, it? Oh, yes. And I've actually got a... I've got a rather fetching orange hat here, actually. Pop it on. Let's see it. <laughs> it, it it's especially fetching over the headphones, I think. Because you had a theory that a beanie hat re- renders you unrecognisable for a while. I did go with to, with my son Sam to something, and I was wearing a baseball cap, and it did take the edge off the recognition thing. Mm. As you know, I quite like the recognition thing. But, uh, but it made it slightly less uh, uncomfortable. But you can always... I guess, flip between wearing it in the incognito way and then if you want to be recognised, turn it backwards or sideways. What um, what hat do you look good in? A, a tricorn hat, I think. Maybe a sort of a cap, a flat cap. Ed, I feel you're stereotyping me as a working class northerner there. No, I think you just... I think, I think you just see me, as a, you see me as a Lowry painting. No, no, here, it suits you? your face, I think. I'll tell you what I like yeah. is... Um, I don't, trilby doesn't work for me. Not a trilby, no, I like, I like a wider brim than that. A Panama hat. So not a fedora, yeah, but a nice wide brim. What about one with a cork sort of, <laughs> <laughs> like Crocodile Dundee? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I think I don't, we're I don't think, stereotypes. Yeah, that's, here. that's maybe not. Yeah, the, uh, not, yeah. not the one for me. No. Um, I'd be interested to see Tom Allen in a hat because he has a, a magnificent head that I don't think should be covered. So um, what hat do you think I should wear then? 
Make it about you. Tom took the time to send us this nice yeah, message. Okay, well, you know, he's got a book out. No, no, but it's, I, it's, yeah. you enjoyed his first book. I do. You I really, I really much. liked him. Yeah. Um, Tom has like this 1920s style to him. I oh. could see him wearing, you know, the white silk, silk yeah. scarf, top hat. Top hat is what I could see Tom wearing. But I don't know if I could see I you in a top hat. No, I think not. But what kind of hat could you see? Russian me? hat, Russian hat. Yes. Well, my late friend Leo Panic, I got his um, one of those hats that comes down over. Yeah, the ear. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is the hat for you. But that's not. It's not going to do anything to dispel the red ed. But that's a that's a sort of sentimental hat. But I th- also think it would suit you genuinely. I'm not What's just saying that. What suit me mean though? It'd frame your face nicely. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think we've pulled every cracker in the box. We have. It's been a joyous. Isn't it nice? Yeah. It feels here's what it feels like to me. The the last scene of It's a Wonderful Life when all the townsfolk come in and rally round the Baileys. I see um I, I see don't think I know Baileys it's and... a wonderful life well oh, enough. Sorry, sorry. Just revealing my ignorance once again. Uh what could, what can we say it'd be like that you would relate to? It's like when Jim Callahan spoke at the Labour Party conference after the winter of discontent and but then saw all his front bench stand up and support him and is is that did that happen? I'm just trying to give you something you can relate to. Maybe it's maybe it's when you know Harry Kane unfortunately missed the penalty and everybody rallied around him. Oh, uh, are we the Harry Kane in this scenario? Yeah, but I did. But are we Jim Callahan in this scenario or George Bailey? Yeah, probably okay. not. Anyway, it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was all sort of. It was kind of nice. Should we finish with our own reason to be cheerful for twenty twenty two? Yeah, what's your reason to be cheerful? for Social media. Oh, so. Obviously, spent a lot of time on the uh, yeah. podcast talking about how yeah. terrible it is and, and, and yeah. how it's caused all this division yeah. and disinformation. But um, for reasons I won't bore you with, I'm spending a lot of time on neurodiversity social media at the moment. Yeah, and the amount of people who are making sense of their own brains and finding a sense of community That's and so identity and just explaining things to other people and supporting other people it's it's really beautiful and that's just one thing that I happen to be that's digging really into at the moment and i'm sure that is true of any uh, community that you can is that think on of. twitter or facebook or instagram uh, i would say twitter and tiktok are the the two where i'm seeing it the most hmm. so that's me what's what's your reasons to be cheerful my reason to be cheerful is my family ah Justine, Daniel, and Sam. You've made me look bad now for not saying my family. That's why I made you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I feel very lucky, particularly as my kids get older. It's sort of even more important to be spending time with them. That's the thing I feel most um, cheerful about in 2022. Well, that's lovely and very Christmassy. Yeah. Well, can I just say, Jeff, I also feel very cheerful to be here with you. In person for the first time in three years at Christmas, yes, yes. it's been a while, hasn't it? Hugs and kisses, just hugs, no, no kisses, uh, yeah, hugs and handshakes, <laughs> yes, yeah. hugs and handshakes to you and all of our listeners and their kin and their kin and their kith. What's kith a kith? Kin. What's a kith? I don't know. Just the kin, let's just play it safe. Well, let's, but is it two kithes or one? <laughs> Thank you and a Merry Christmas to everybody who brings you the podcast every week. Rachel Barmer, our content producer. Emma Corsham, our audio producer. Joe Kenyon at Goldfish, who supports us in all this. Gail Lofthouse is our 
Christmas narrator for the Nativity. Uh, Ed Seed composed the Christmas music. <laughs> um, uh, James Deacon decked the halls with boughs of holly. And our uh, Christmas cards were made by Henry Cull. He's been Ed Miliband. He's been Jeff Lloyd. And these have been Christmas Reasons to be Cheerful. Christmas.